Beautiful. Thank you, Kelly. That's beautiful. Even better the second time. Good morning. Welcome. I'm going to sound the chimes together and invite you to just drop into some silence for 30 seconds. And then we'll sing a song, say a prayer. Thank you for joining us on this May long weekend. It's a beautiful day out there. So uh, quite honored that you would take some time out of your day to be indoors. All right, here we, here we go. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear. For spirit, one spirit is in this very room, in this very room, in this very room. And so I invite you to know with me and join me in that knowing and the awareness and the experience that there is a energetic force that animates all of life. And that force is eternal. It is a source, a force, a presence, a vibration. It is a principle that we are immersed in and it is immersed in us. It is the life of the infinite that goes by many names. And so I know that something powerful and beautiful is available to each and every one of us. In the twinkling of an eye, as Scripture says. And so I open my heart, my mind, my being to that experience, for I trust in it. I have faith in it. I know whatever there is for me to know and to be and to do, I stand in co-creation with that infinite divine presence. And so in gratitude and appreciation for all the blessings, for all the abundance that allows us to spend this time together on this beautiful day in this beautiful city. Together. Not just together with one another, but also together with that source of all life is what we stand for as a community and as a movement of oneness, of the sacred, and of the opportunity and possibility to be of service to life. For this I give thanks and I invite you to say with me. And so it is. Alrighty. So we are, and I am the place, which has been our theme this year. And so this month, talking about where generosity shows up today. And I want to have a discussion about, uh, I thought I'd focus a bit today on this idea of contribution. Because contribution is such a, 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 a powerful, powerful um, 
practice and an activity. And I have a few illustrations I want to share with you today around that. So with contribution, there's three ideas that I think are central to that. One is longing. How does longing play into that? Uh, grace and also the gift. There they are right there. Yeah. So longing. And so I've got a, a slide the, by Sue Monk Kid, wonderful author and, and teacher and, and amazing woman. And she, uh, as you can read over my shoulder, the soul often speaks through longing. So what is this longing thing? And part of what inspired me to even step here um, today was I got word of a cousin. I have a really, a cousin I grew up with. We, another big family. There were about seven kids in their family, and we used to get together for a lot of family functions. And I haven't seen him in 30 years. Anyway, I got word the other day that his son, who was 35 years old, <clears throat> and had suffered with depression most of his life, uh, decided to end his life. And I've been thinking a lot about it because... This is not uncommon. This happens every day on this planet. And I think that when, when we don't have um, a presence in our life that can help guide us through those tough times and give us some grounding and the challenges, because life can be challenging at times. There can be things that show up in our lives that feel overwhelming. And I know from a bit of the history that's been shared about his story that he struggled his whole life and finally just decided to check out. And that has just been, had a ripple effect amongst our, our family. And, um, and I've thought a lot about it. And I found a, um, a definition of the difference between longings because there's qualities to longing that I think make, can make a, a significant difference. There's desperate longing and there is assured longing. Desperate longing and assured longing. And so the difference in, in those is trust. There's faith. Because what we, we look out into the world and, and, and see the challenges that are before us. And there's always been challenges. It's part of the human condition. It's part of being on this planet. So how can we not spin into desperate longing and, and to stand in the trust of assured longing? That, that longing is really part of the soul, as Sue Kidd said, it's the language, longing can be the language of the soul. And I think it's important to understand that because we all have longing. One of the things that I've found very comforting finding this teaching was Ernest Holmes would say, you have divine discontent. I'd never heard that term before, divine discontent. Hmm. So it's okay to, be, to have discontent because for the mo most of my youth, I was told, well, be happy with what you have. And there were times when I thought, oh boy, that's a challenge. But the difference between desperate longing and assured longing is the, is the difference is trust. And so a couple of quotes that come to mind. One is, a, one is a Sufi quote that says, all of reality is a symbol for spirit. So everything we have in form is a symbol for what's happened spiritually. That's just the way this realm works, this divine realm. And from Rumi, Rumi said, I come from elsewhere, and though I know not where that is, I am certain to return there in the end. So he understood the, the journey in the life plan, and Rumi was a, a Sufi, and the Sufis are the, the Islamic branch of, of uh, the Muslim tradition, the lovers of God. I met a young man the other day that explained to me that the Muslims don't really like the Sufis because the Sufis try to be something that the Muslims shouldn't be, and I thought, okay, well, because I always liked this, I thought the Sufis were pretty cool, and he, no, 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 that's, they're just showing off, so I thought, all right, well, so it's just perception, but I think it's important, you know, what we're all longing for, I've got a picture of a yeah, a cord that's not plugged in, that longing is to, to connect. And all of us do it in different ways, which is beautiful. 
It's wonderful. And for some, the, the relief is found in music. And for some, it's in poetry. And for some, it's gardening. I shared last week the story of the robin that we have in front. He's five feet from the front door where she planted herself, made a nest. And she's got her eggs in her now because I peeked in. I've got to water this basket. It's got these beautiful plants. And I don't want the plants to die, but I don't want to disturb the nest. So it's quite an art. So I have to wait for her to leave. I get my water. I stand there. And when she goes, she leaves for about five minutes at a time. But yesterday, another bird tried to get the eggs while she was out. And man, there was a fight that went on. And you talk about feathers ruffled. I never realized what feathers ruffled meant. But they disappeared off to, and the battle went on. And she came back about five minutes later, and her feathers were all ruffled. And I thought, that's what feather ruffle means. But, you know, this is just life. And I thought, wow, I you know, hope the eggs make it. But this is to plug in. So the, the example is, how do we plug in? You know, nature's one way we can plug in. Gardening is one way we plug in. We're going to plant next week. I read an article that said one of the most therapeutic activities in the, available to us is gardening. I thought, isn't that interesting? But, you know, we, we put our hands in the dirt. It's real. So evolution takes place on the inside. It always does. It's always an inside job. This comes from a bit from um, Deepak Chopra has this beautiful book. I'm going to read a, a beautiful story out of it today called How to Know God. We don't have them in the bookstore, but it's a wonderful book. I, I, really a nice roadmap in, in terms of stages of consciousness laid out here in many different ways. But what Deepak talks about here is evolution takes place inside. It, is, it isn't a matter of pilgrimages, observances, or obeying the religious rules. No code of conduct can alter the fact that every mind... Every mind is on a soul's journey, each one of us. And I think it's so important to understand that and know that, live from that a bit, because otherwise we spin into situations where tragic things can happen, where life feels hopeless, too much pain, too much struggle, and man, it, it's not so, but it can feel so. The soul is always pulling at us, that's that longing. It's, it's a force field and it's inescapable. See, the enemy is not evil, as Deepak says. The enemy is awareness. The enemy is awareness. When we don't know and we don't understand, that's our enemy. No one can resist the soul forever. Saints and sinners are all on the same road. The soul is the source of truth and love. And if you try to avoid it, those things will, will not, if you try to avoid those things, the truth and love, those things will not increase in your life. But if you cooperate, your life will be organized with the help of the infinite power and the intelligence as it flows from God. Action is a physical process linked to the mind. The two cannot be separate. So even though it's a journey of the mind, outer activities either help or detract. Practices in our lives, repetition in our lives, either help or detract. It's just the way it works. That's, I don't know why it's set up that way, but it is. So Mother Teresa has this great story. I don't know if it's her great story, but... It's, it's a great story. And she went to Australia to tour and to speak and to meet people and go to various places and, you know, whatever. And so this young friar was assigned to accompany her and sort of be her assistant throughout the trip. And towards the end of this trip that went on a couple of weeks, she, he got very frustrated because he said, you know, I really would like to spend time with Mother Teresa, but I haven't even had a chance to really talk with her at all. So they went, were going to the airport. She was going to fly to Papua New, New Guinea for another leg of her, her, uh, her journey. And the young friar said, you know, Mother Teresa, I have um, enough money to buy an airplane ticket, and would it be okay with you if I purchased an airplane ticket and I sat next to you on the plane and you and I could have a nice conversation for the four and a half hours on the airplane while we fly there? And Mother Teresa looked at him and said, you have enough money to buy an airplane ticket? 
And he said, yes, I do. And she said, I'll tell you what you do. Give that money that you have for the airplane ticket to charity. Find a charity that you care about. And you'll learn far more about something that's valuable than sitting next to me on an airplane for four and a half hours. Well, isn't it interesting? But she understood. Mother Teresa's life was all about, was all about contribution, all about generosity, all about service. So we must trust the invisible, for it is the sole cause of that which is visible, Dr. Holmes said. We must trust the invisible, for it is the sole cause of that which is invisible. And I think when we trust the invisible, then our longing has a different quality to it, because we can trust it, because it's shown up for us, as Dr. Holmes would say. And then we're plugged in. We make that connection. Trusting the invisible. So the second idea that I think ties in with the longing is grace. And grace is a, is a game changer. So I want to share with you a story by Deepak, and then I'm going to pull something out of the Science of Mind textbook that Dr. Holmes says about this, this sort of game changer as well. And Deepak tells this story about a young man that he met, and he's, he's a, a fascinating story, but it's an illustration of, of the, the, the power of grace. So he begins, when you feel you have been touched by grace, that is your clue that God exists and cares about what happens to you. I know a middle-aged man, now the owner of his own computer firm, whose entrepreneurial streak first surfaced when he was 20. Unfortunately, at that time, it took the form of smuggling drugs across the Caribbean in a light plane. He said, the young man said, I only made one trip before I was detained by the custom officials and almost arrested. As it happened, I didn't have any cargo left on board. They never found out why, and that is an amazing story, he said. I was flying out of the Bahamas when we encountered dense fog cover, or uh, dense cloud cover. I dipped down to escape it, but the fog went down to ground level. Somehow, in all this maneuvering, my partner and I lost our bearings. We wasted time trying to get back on course, growing more and more worried. The Caribbean is a great deal of ocean and only a few small places to land. We began to run out of fuel and panic set in. My partner started shouting and we jettisoned all our extra gas cans and then the cargo and finally our luggage in an attempt to get lighter. The fog didn't lift and I could tell that my co-pilot was frozen with fear. He was sure we were going to die. At that moment, I had the unearthly certainty that we weren't. I looked to my left and a hole opened in the fog. I could see a tiny island beneath my wingtip and on it a short dirt landing strip. I dove the plane through as the clouds closed up again and we landed only to have five custom officials converge on us half an hour later. But the whole time of our our, uh, interrogation, I heard an inner voice that told me my life had been saved for a reason. I didn't become religious in any conventional sense, but this was something I never doubted again. And Deepak continues, whether operating on the level of a saint or a criminal, grace is the ingredient that saves karma from being heartlessly mechanical. Grace is thus linked to free will. A billiard ball must follow its assigned trajectory, and a thief who commits robbery a hundred times would seem to be just as set on his course. But even though his karma is set, at any given moment he has the opportunity to stop and mend his ways. Grace can take the form of a simple thought, maybe I should quit, or it can be an overwhelming transformation like the one endured by St. Paul on the road to Damascus. When the divine light blinded him and struck him from his horse, In either case, the impulse to move towards spirit is the result of grace. 
And I like that story because I think there is an unseen force that wants to support us. And when we put ourselves in harm's way many times, by, by divine grace, I think things happen that we cannot expect. In the Science of Mind textbook, Dr. Holmes said this, and, I, and one of the things I, I really appreciate about his wisdom and clarity. He said, those who have studied our textbook will know that we agree. We are immortal now. We stress the eminence of God. But we interpret the teachings of Jesus as plainly instructing that the law of karma, cause and effect, can be changed at any moment through a knowledge of and the application of the principles of what we teach. So Dr. Holmes, Dr. Holmes understood, and I think that's why he emphasized so much present moment mindfulness, that we all have, we are eternal souls. We are immortal now, as he says in this quotation above my shoulder there, and that God is present here and now, fully. Fully. And as we shift and change, the veil gets lifted. He talks about that many times in his writings. Maybe for a moment, maybe for a glimpse. But what I, I really appreciate about what he has to say here is the Hindus talk about karma and cause and effect in many lifetimes. Holmes didn't say he didn't believe in reincarnation. He said, I don't teach it because this is what he wanted to teach. You can break it now. And breaking that chain of karmic Baggage, whether it be in this lifetime or many lifetimes, is, is a state of grace. It's an opportunity to say, maybe I should change this. As soon as we have that conscious thought, how could I change this? What's there for me to do about this? How can I shift and change this? The infinite has a new possibility within us to express. It can be changed at any moment through a knowledge of and the application of. So knowing it and applying it is a game changer. And I think it's so important to realize that. He's such a brilliant man. And that's exactly what Deepak's talking about in this story. There was something within this man, even when the plane was going down, they were running out of gas. He knew, I'm not, this isn't the end for me. And wasn't, isn't it great that because they, got, they started running out of fuel, he had to get rid of everything that would have put him in jail for probably many, many years, if not the rest of his life? Is that not grace? But it certainly wasn't what he planned on doing. So it put, but it put the stop on his beginning career as a, a drug smuggler. So I think it's fascinating, and I think it's so important that we, we understand that. It's always our opportunity. So the gift. We'll talk about the gift briefly. Because the gift is a wonderful story as well. And this is inspired by a young man named Thatch Wynn. Thatch, spelled T-H-A-C-H, and Wynn. I've always wondered how to say this name, because there's so many people from Vietnam with this spelling, but it's called Wynn. It's spelled N-U-G-Y-E-N, win. There he is. And Thatch said, the level of your happiness and success in life is directly proportional to the number of people you serve selflessly. Seems so counterintuitive, doesn't it? But he's got a beautiful story and an illustration, and he's got a, he calls it the gift. And I think it's a wonderful way to live your life. He also has one from Proverbs. One man gives freely, yet grows all the richer, and another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. I mean, that's, that's from antiquity. But it talks about contribution. It talks about sharing. Because what happens when we share, when we open up in a different way and the generosity of spirit? We're connecting. There's a vibration to I mean, it's a consciousness we do it from, but I mean, when we're truly in that, that state of generosity and contribution, we connect energetically. It's one of the reasons that we're here. 
And so I'll tell you um, Thatch's gift. I'll give you a bit of his background, then I'll go into the four steps. So Thatch was born in Vietnam in 1970. His parents, um, he left Vietnam in 1975. And the reason he left when he was five years old is because North Vietnam was starting to invade and take over South Vietnam. So he had four brothers. His mother was pregnant with his sister. Um, and his dad worked for the U.S. military. Not a good situation when the North Vietnamese are coming to take over. And so they had 24 hours to get packed and get out of the country. And so Thatch talks about the, the I guess there were one, two, five, six, seven, there were seven at that time with an eighth on the way, packed everything they could in one suitcase and they had less than $100. They got in an airplane and they were flown over a period of time to San Diego, California, where they were put into a homeless shelter. And so after a period of time, he said they moved him to Tacoma, Washington. And when they got him to Tacoma, Washington, they were there for several weeks. And a stranger came to him, Charles Zettler. And Charles said, I'm going to sponsor you guys. Never met the guy before in his life. So Charles and his mother sponsored the whole family. And brought him into their home and fed them and helped him find work. She said, uh, that said for seven months, this woman... Every workday, drove my father 45 minutes to work, dropped him off, drove home. At 5 o'clock at night, drove back to pick him up and bring him home. So three hours of commuting every day from this Charles Zettler's mother for seven months straight. And finally, the father saved enough money where he could put a down payment on a car, so Charles co-signed on the car. He said it was his first experience of unconditional contribution that he'd ever seen and been part of in his life. He said these people were perfect strangers and they had no agenda. They just wanted to help. So as Thatch got older, you know, the family got established and, and, um, but as he got older, he went into real estate. So in 1991, he started his own real estate uh, um, endeavors. He was 21 years old. He said, my only focus back then was making money. It was all about me. He said it was very successful, but, but not very fulfilled. Very driven by my own agenda. And my only concern was that what Thatch needed. So who cares about anybody else? He's, but then he said he had a major disaster, which he does not describe, but a major breakdown in his life. And so rather than spin into despair, you know, let the, all of the stories that can come up about this of some arbitrary force punishing him or whatever it may be, he said that disaster provided him with an opportunity to reinvent himself. He realized life isn't all about me. He realized that true happiness, true fulfillment has to be beyond this guy named Thatch. And so he started to ask questions and he said, what can I do? What can I contribute to the world as opposed to what can I get? And at that point he said everything shifted for him. He started to apply a powerful daily practice, and he uses it every day with everyone he comes in contact with. He calls it the gift, and it's based on the law of contribution. Anyone can give the gift, and you can give it at any time. There's four steps to it. There they are. The first one is you connect deeply. Whoever you meet, you connect deeply with them. You, you just, you're there, you're present with them. And you... Listen. He said, don't step over anyone because everyone is important. 
Connect deeply with them. Ask them questions about themselves. Discover what they're up to. What are their dreams? What are their goals? What are their aspirations? You know, a lot of our classwork here is, is very much around this idea. You come in and we help build the class build rapport. And then what is it that you long to experience? What is the, the challenge before you right now? Because that's what life is. It's not, it's not an accident that we, we move into that because that's where a lot of, where all of us are. He said, find a way to contribute on the spot. You may have a resource, you may have an idea, you may have something that can help them fulfill their dream. So, the, so this is all about giving. It's about giving our attention. It's about giving our care. It's about giving anything that we might help support them. I was down uh, last week. I went to the Rotary uh, breakfast or lunch, Del, Del Dilke. Del, thank you. She invited me. We went down. There's 480 people. 400, thanks, okay. That's like, getting like my dad now. It always, the numbers always increase every time I tell the story. <laughs> Never go fishing with my dad. This, in two months, it's this big. So anyway, but, but beautiful in the things that that group has done to help people and to establish affordable housing and, and the different things that are going on. But contributing on the spot... And then as he says, watch the miracles happen. The fourth step is watching the miracles. The more you contribute to others, the more they will contribute to you because this is the way it works. It could come directly from that person or it could come from someone we don't know or it could come from a source that we don't expect. It could come out of the blue. But he's lived his entire life since that period of time where he had a disaster. He turned his life around and said, I need this to be about something bigger than just myself. So he tells a story about this, of what happened for him. He had a man call him and ask him if he could meet him for lunch. So he thought, don't know this guy. This could be a good business lead. I will go meet with him and have lunch, and, we'll, and, I, and I will discover what this man wants and how I can support him. And so uh, he had lunch with the man, and he was doing his inquiry and trying to figure out how he could help. And the guy was very, very non-conversant around any of that. He was just, they had a very nice lunch, but there wasn't a whole lot shared from, from the man he was meeting. And so they had the lunch, and it was great, and they said goodbye, and thanks so much, and, and that didn't think too much about it. And about two or three months later, the guy calls him again. So I'd like to meet with you again, have lunch. And they get together again, they have lunch. Once again, he's asking questions. He's trying to figure out if there's anything he can do to help this guy, and the guy's not sharing too much. And he says, all right, so whatever. I had another lunch with him, and that's fine. And a few more months go by. guy calls the third time, and the guy says, okay, I'll meet with you. They meet. He said, now the old thatch, the guy that was all about me, would have said at this point in time, forget it. I'm not meeting with this guy anymore. There's no, there's no payoff in this thing. There's nothing in it for me. But he went, he just realized, you know, I'm here, I'm here to be of service. This is happening in my, reason, my life for a reason. They met again for the third time, once again, no results, nothing tangible, but they had a very lovely conversation. So finally, a number of months go by, and he calls again, and that says, okay, I'm in. You know, let's go see where this takes us. They meet, and uh, the man said, you know, I just wanna, I wanted to meet with you a few times just to get to know you, to build a rapport. I needed to know who I was doing business with here because I have uh, some money I'd like to invest, but I wanted to make sure who I was working with and I wanted to know who you were and what you stood for. And he said, I'm ready to, to enter into a business relationship with you. He said, that man over the next several months purchased $5 million, over $5 million worth of real estate through Thatch, representing him. And he continues to be one of his clients. But he said... He uses this practice every day, every day in his life. It's become the way he lives his life and runs his business. 
And you never know. You never know who's coming into your experience. And sometimes it takes time to build trust and build, build relationship. So what are we all reaching for at the end of the day? Because we're all reaching for something. We're all reaching for something. We have the longing. The longing is that reach. It's the infinite way. But wouldn't it be lovely if we had more and more of our, our culture understood this from a, a greater perspective so that when our, our young people are struggling? You know, it's Teen Sunday. Here's Alicia did a beautiful meditation and a couple of our teens sitting here. But to have life's wisdom and to be able to say, you know, you got what you need. You are wonderful. You are powerful. You are beautiful. You are free. That's why I love that Robbie Williams song. Wrote that for his kids. Because he said, I hope one day you can sing this song to me. What a great thing to long for our children. That the grace that we are, that the soul, the eternal soul that we are, that we can live more and more fully from that. So to honor our longing so it can take us to places that we, we, we should go and want to go. And need to go. You know, that said, the level of your happiness and success in life is directly proportional to the number of people you serve selflessly. This whole community is a group of, of service. You know, Sue asked me, you know, we're, we're doing our, our, our invitation for people to step up and serve. And so much, we wouldn't be here without people in service. We just would not, we would not be around. And it's such a beautiful thing. I read a statistic in 2013, 47% of Canadians are in service to some uh, entity or, or cause. In the United States, it was 25%. 85% of Canadians give money to a nonprofit or to a cause. I mean, it's remarkable, the level of generosity and contribution in this country. And it's quite a bit lower in the U.S. So that longing is so important to honor Because longing is the soul's language, if we understand that. But no one ever told me that when I was a kid. They gave me the Ten Commandments. They told me to offer up my suffering for the poor souls in purgatory and get on with your life. But there's something deeper there. Longing is the soul's language. Grace, grace is the deal. It, it, it changes everything. Because grace is calling in that presence and power of spirit for a new idea, a new possibility, and nurturing that and building new memorized feelings around it and setting a new intention it becomes, then it becomes our memorized way of being and the gift connecting with people you know, being fully present with people finding out what they're about what are their dreams how can I assist your dreams and then stepping back and watching the miracles take place but what a beautiful, beautiful uh, way to live our lives the way to live our lives and understand whatever shows up for us, there's a gift in it. You know, sometimes we feel like we're, we're um, it's not going anywhere, like we're running on a treadmill. Just like that said with this guy, he kept meeting over and over again, but there was something developing there. Something wanted to happen there. Something wanted to be given birth. So life's as beautiful as we make it or as horrific as we make it. In Deepak Chopra's book here, How to Know God, he talks about the stages of development, spiritual development, and he talks about the contrast of life. The first st five stages of consciousness are all about contrast, the light and the dark, the lack and the abundance, the joy, the suffering, 
And he says in stage one, it's the idea, I'm in such separation that I sense deep fear inside. A lot of people live like that. A lot of people live that, that way all the time. Stage two, I don't feel so separate. I am gaining a sense of power. Starts to shift and change. Stage three, something larger than me is drawing near. I feel much more peaceful. Stage four, I'm beginning to intuit what the larger thing is. It must be God. Stage five, my actions and thoughts are drawing on God's force field as if we are both involved in everything. That's co-creation. Stage six, God and I are almost together now. I feel no separation. My mind is God's mind. Whole different way of being, of presencing. And stage seven, I see no difference between myself and God. But we're all on the journey. Every one of us, it's inevitable. We can't escape it. It doesn't matter if we're saints or sinners, we're all on the same road. Something is pushing us forward. And the only way it won't happen, it's inevitable. The only way it won't happen is if we check out or we say, no, I'm not going and you can't make me. You know, what I know about my, my nephew and what happened with him is I can be more mindful so that when the opportunity comes into my life to be, the, to be a presence of, of love and consciousness, I don't want to miss that opportunity. I can't, I can't bring him back but I can use this experience as something that gives me a, a direction in my life that I know is important. And I think for many of us in a room full of cultural creatives that, that believe in the greater yet to be and the possibility, it's such a beautiful thing. So our souls are important to answer that longing and to acknowledge it and to understand that sometimes life, sometimes we're over in the chaos, but that's just an, an opportunity for us to bring ourselves back to the truth of our being, which is there's one life, one power, and that life is God. That life is my life and that life is yours. And so it is. Amen.